Welcome to My Name is Not Steve, the podcast by storytellers about storytelling with people not named Steve. Hey, welcome to My Name is Not Steve. We are still not named Steve. No, we are not. My name is Pete Bauer. And my name is Dorothea. And we are storytellers. Talking about storytelling. Oh my gosh, are we going to do this the whole show? I like it. So I'll start and you'll finish. See? (laughs) Wow. Do you know how much editing would have to go into that to make that work? That would be pretty bad. So today's episode, Dorothea, we're going to talk about heroes. Are we? Yeah, we're going to talk about me. Mm, I don't really think you qualify. (laughs) Well, that's true. (laughs) Well, thank you guys for joining us today. We're sorry that we did not post Right, yeah, we missed an episode, Dorothea. What was that about, I wonder? I wonder. It was entirely my fault. That's correct. Letting the fans know. I was uh, out of the state, and (laughs) it caused a a little bit of a difficulty. Where were you? I was in California. California? I was. Where? That's classified. (laughs) (laughs) Whereabouts? Also classified. Uh, You were in northern-ish California. It was really cool. Yeah. So you were there for work, and uh, and so selfishly, you got back, I think it was at 7 a.m. in the morning? I did, yes, and after you, taking the red eye. Yeah, and you didn't want to do a show? Well, I don't think we would have had any fans <laughs> left after that episode. You know, I really wanted to do one because I just wanted to see what would happen because when you're tired, you have, you're kind of fun and giddy and you laugh at everything. And then you become immediately and suddenly evil. (laughs) And sadly, when you got off the plane, you were already evil. I was. (laughs) You were not happy. I was, yeah. Yeah. So we did not do a show. And I know that hurt our three listeners out there. And for that, Dorothea apologizes. I do. Really? Sincerely, which I could not have said had we done the podcast (laughs) (laughs) a few weeks ago. That would have been so awesome. But before we get to our topic of heroes, we're going to give an update on the book, Kneel and Pray, which I hear is still complete. I don't know where you're getting your information. <laughs> so we actually released Kneel and Pray, Dorothea. Yes, we did. And uh, we formed a launch team to help us promote the book and get it out there a little bit. And it was a really interesting experiment because we'd never done it before. And the goal wasn't sales. The really cool thing about the first book in a series is every book you release after that, for those people who discover it at that point, they're going to buy that first book. So releasing the first book, we weren't interested in sales so much, as much as we were interested in just getting some social proof through getting reviews online, and also just some awareness of people sharing it and letting people know that the book's out there and things like that. We didn't reach all of our goals per se. But honestly, those goals were set in a vacuum because we'd never done this before. So we didn't know how much time some of these things would take. And so there were a lot of lessons learned. I think we'll reach all of our goals before the next book is released. So I'm not worried about that. But overall, the people involved, especially the the really active people, they were just great. They were awesome. You know, really dedicated, really passionate about helping out and excited about the story. And we've invested so much time into this story that it really is wonderful to see people be excited about reading it. Yeah, it is. And I will say there is something kind of nerve-wracking about putting your story out there for everyone to read and criticize. You know, something my grandfather did, your father, Yes. 
that I always thought was incredibly brave, but also incredibly grandpa, it was a very grandpa thing to do, was when he started painting in his later years, he showed all of his works from the very beginning. I never would do that as a person because I'm such a perfectionist that I could never put out work that I thought was anything less than the best that I could do. And he put out everything. Well, we both have in our history material that we were involved in that we prefer never existed and yes. were, were burning in the bowels of hell. That is true. <laughs> it's very unfortunate. So I would never... It's so unfortunate. <laughs> The sad thing is that, like, so you, and you're talking about a project you were involved in as an actor. The oh, sad thing is some of people. these, I won't. The sad thing is, is some of these are projects I created out of my own brain and resources. The only comfort I have in my project was that I was a child at the time. And I had no control over anything aside from my own performance as an actor. And I was a child at the time. And not Dakota Fanning. <laughs> And you, one of the scenes you had an allergic reaction. I was sick that whole <laughs> so shoot because we were filming in a house and they had a cat and I'm severely allergic to cats. Yeah. So the longer that shoot went on, the puffier and <laughs> it's just <laughs> so great. <laughs> Here's the fun thing about that story is so even though you were a young lady, you were what, eight or nine, I think? Yeah, I think it was. So we had been talking about movies and stuff since you were you know four or five so what was funny is that there was one point where they were going to do this stunt in uh, the small street and you said to me at one point you're like dad um where they set up the camera they can see the ramp where the car goes over should i tell them <laughs> that <laughs> the ramp is in the shot and earlier, I had tried to help a little bit with, with a similar situation where they, they were setting themselves up to fail, and the guy kind of bit my head off. So I was like, no, no, Dorothea, they'll figure it out. Sad that, you know, a nine-year-old was going, I don't think this is the right shot. <laughs> and the great thing was about three weeks after the shoot, we get this frantic email saying, did anyone else videotape because we need a different angle of that moment? And we're like, well, if you would have listened to the kid. <laughs> Well, there were a lot of moments in that where yeah. camera placement was just not <laughs> ideal because after the stunt, I was crawling out of a car with shattered windows. Yeah, your character was in the car that had the accident. And because I was a child, they put down a towel over the shattered glass so I wouldn't hurt myself. The interesting thing that I knew would happen was that the audience would see the towel. <laughs> and then they put the camera when the guy was supposed to hit you. Right next to my face. So, so there's a very clearly <laughs> a gap between his hand and my face. <laughs> it's, you know, it. And every time you're like, I, I don't think this is right. <laughs> it was a really good learning experience. Isn't yeah. that what actors say when they talk about projects they regret? Yes. <laughs> well, some of my projects that I really regretted uh, were involved in film and. It was just trying to do, like I've said before, anytime I write anything, I think of it as an experiment. So, and every time I would shoot anything, it would be the same thing. I'm like, boy, I wonder if I can pull that off. And when you can't, it's kind of ugly. <laughs> so uh, ambition and effort don't always equate to success. So, But our experiences in film did teach us one very important lesson, which was 
that just because it's the best you can do does not mean other people are going to want to read or watch it. Right. And there's a, a, I hear this a lot, especially with people involved in Christian film, is they, they think that because God calls them to do something that their story or their product is going to be any good. And God doesn't call us to do anything to be successful at doing that thing. He calls us to do things because that's what we need to do at that time in our life to get closer to him. And oftentimes, many of these projects are not any good, and people are surprised because they feel like, well, God called me to do this. And it's like, well, okay, but that has nothing to do, really, with whether you have talent or skill, or more importantly, often resources, time, and money to get the appropriate people involved in the story to make it good. You also need to have objective criticism for your projects, regardless of whether you're an author or a filmmaker. I remember we watched a documentary about a Christian film that never happened. Do you remember this documentary? It was really fascinating because they had a lot of donations. They had a lot of money and they spent all of it. And the leadership behind this film was so bad and they made the wrong choices consistently that they only ended up with about a minute of film. Yeah, and it was like millions of dollars. And it was in slow motion because the guy filmed at too many frames per second. I think he thought if you had more frames, then it was better quality, but (laughs) that's not how it works. Yeah. So anyway, um, the book is out there, and it is there for people to criticize. And I hope in the future, when I look back, it will not be one of those things that I go, ooh, I don't think it will, or else I wouldn't have put it out there. We talked about that last time about creating a wow product. So I'm, I'm pretty sure it's, I will say this, it's the best that we can do right now. So, and I think it's pretty good. And if you're putting your work out there and you think it's anything less than the best that you can do, then it's not ready yet. Right. And sometimes, you know, the best that you can do at that moment in your life is not good enough either. There was actually a moment when I was in college, I had to write a lot of papers and, and I usually did pretty well on papers. But I came into this one class and a friend of mine looked at me and they said, so do you have a good paper today? And I said, no, this is literally the worst thing I have ever written. I had nothing to comment about this particular subject. I have no opinion. I really could not care less about this. And because of that, it was reflected in my writing. It was a commentary on a specific psychological theory and I really had nothing to contribute. So it's sometimes you have those moments too. <laughs> yeah. And we talked about last time about, about creating a wild product and stuff like that. But it is a challenge. Uh, having that objectivity is really important because when you create something, at the moment, you think it, it fulfills everything that you imagined in your brain as you're creating the story. And it's only with that, with time and distance that you kind of have an objective look. That's why it's it's not bad to take something that you've completed put it away for six months and don't look at it and then look at it again and you'll see all the gaps that you thought were were not there and uh, and you'll know whether you can fix them or not or whether it's you just need to move on to the next thing one last thing i'll say about that is a lot of people and i struggled with this too a lot of people want to finish projects because they they want to have a product done and, and i guess what i'm saying is that The one thing I've learned from the writing novels, if you're a writer, you're going to write anyway. And a lot of new writers, they get really stuck with that one thing, that passion project that they're working on, and they think it's the greatest thing and the only thing they're ever going to do that's that's as awesome as that. 
But if you're really a writer, it's just the next thing you've written. It's okay to move on. It's okay to put it aside. It's okay to say, yeah, this isn't going to see the light of day because it's where I was learning. Like we talked about last time about throwing different stuff away that we had written before. If you're really just a writer who has to write anyway, you're just going to move on to the next thing. But it's when you become almost too attached to the project and invest too much of yourself into it that you can't let it go. You can't look at it objectively. So that that can be a problem. And then when you try to help those people, they're too invested and they just they get really defensive. So are we ready to talk about heroes? You mean me? Um, um. (laughs) All right. We'll talk about other heroes, I guess. I guess. All right, so heroes, Dorothea. Um, heroes. When we when we talked about heroes, heroes, you just like saying that word, don't you? It's fun to say. Say it again. Heroes. That's not the way it should be said. Heroes. No, it's getting worse. <laughs> it's regressing. Yes, yes it is. But when we talked about heroes before the show, we kind of put them into a couple of groups that, that occurred to us. We have our brooding heroes, we have our noble heroes, then we have some snarky heroes over here on the left, and then we've got our reluctant heroes. It's very exciting. You sound like a game show host. It was intentional. Am I about to win a new car? (laughs) No, but you just might win a new hero. Aw, that's sweet. So what do you think are some of the aspects, Dorothea, that actually make a hero? I think one of the qualities that you see in every hero, regardless of whether they're brooding or noble or snarky or reluctant or whatever, is that they usually make a great sacrifice in their story. Right. And that sacrifice is either known at the beginning of their quest or becomes known during their quest, and yet they're not dissuaded from making it one way or the other. And it's interesting because depending on the category the hero is in, Sometimes they're fully willing to make that sacrifice at the beginning, and sometimes the character has to grow and be willing to make that sacrifice toward the end because they don't have another option, because it needs to be done, and what makes them a hero is the fact that they're willing to do it. Right. So let's talk about which hero category. It does feel like a game show. All right, which category, Dorothy, would you like to take for heroes for $200? I'll take reluctant. Reluctant heroes for $200. Who is the hero who led a band of soldiers to save another soldier deep in enemy territory? Who is Tom Hanks in Saving Private Ryan? That is correct. I love the movie Saving Private Ryan because it's the only war movie I've seen where it really, really highlights the fact that sometimes you do not have a good choice available to you. Sometimes the only option you have is bad. And what do you do when those are your choices? Right. And as the mission continued, obviously, there were uh, increased sacrifice, not only from himself, but his team. And so he was a great character because he followed orders to do something noble, really. The, the, the task was noble. But the sacrifice kind of overshadowed the nobility of what they were trying to do. It was a greater sacrifice by him and his team than it was by actually what they were trying to do, which is interesting. Another hero that is a real-life hero and the reluctant type is George Washington. You know, George Washington did lead the efforts in the Revolutionary War and by his own charisma and leadership power was able to keep literally a ragtag group of militia together to fight the greatest power in the world at the time. But when things were over, he really just wanted to go back and and live a normal life. And they kept pulling him back in at all the critical moments in the early part of our country because he was the only one that was noble enough and strong enough 
and had enough charisma to convince everybody of the right path. He was like their moral compass. And so when the country was looking for a president, of course, they turned to him and he didn't want to be it. He just wanted to go back to his normal life. And there was a particular phrase he said that I found very powerful in which he replied to them, have I not yet done enough for my country? But as the first president, he was the only one they trusted. Their history and their understanding of how power worked was that they really kind of wanted a king, but that's not what a republic is. And so he was the first president, and he only worked two terms, and then he stepped down and gave up that power to the next president. And it wasn't until FDR that any president dared to go more than two terms because they respected the tradition and the example that George Washington had done. After FDR passed away, Congress passed a law which says you can't go more than two terms. George Washington was amazing, and at the end of his life, he still served the country and was very reluctant in, in doing so, but did it because it was the right thing to do, and it was, it was a greater need than his own. But George Washington's example also highlights another quality of heroes that I think is pretty universal, which is that people trust them to lead, even if they don't seem qualified to lead by their character descriptions or by their history, they still stand up and when they ask you to do something, you trust them enough to do it. Well, like Sam Adams is a good example. That's just uh, one, another revolutionary guy. One of my favorite revolutionary characters is, is a guy who actually started the Sons of Liberty. He was a doctor named Joseph Warren, and it was his idea to form the Sons of Liberty as a consolidated effort against the, the crown. Unfortunately, he died in one of the early battles, but if he would have survived the Revolutionary War, he probably would have ended up on the dollar bill or some coin because he was that instrumental in planting the seeds that ended up being the Revolutionary War. On a side note, I really enjoyed the History Channel's Sons of Liberty series. Yeah, even though it wasn't nearly it, as accurate as it should be, it was just fun. It wasn't accurate at all. It was very entertaining because all the commercials immediately after the show were like, if you want to find out about the real Sons of Liberty, go here. But it was very entertaining. The one thing I really did enjoy about the show, though, was that they highlighted the fact that the Sons of Liberty was actually a street gang. Yeah, they were they were kind of thugs. And what was interesting is is Sam Adams was the focus of that show. And so when they went to commercial, obviously Sam Adams was the sponsor. They were the beer. Which is also kind of funny because the Sam Adams logo is of Paul Revere. Yeah, because the <laughs> Sam Adams picture wasn't as good looking. Well, Sam Adams was not a very attractive man. And so, yeah, it's, it's of Paul Revere. <laughs> yeah. But what I loved most about Sons of Liberty is that it was just 100% like adrenaline America. You know what I mean? It was just like the battles were just like America in your face. It was it was very cool. It was very well done. It's probably 80% accurate, but it is very, very entertaining. It was very entertaining. But next on our list of reluctant heroes is... Well, we have a couple we've talked about before, but you look at Harry Potter. He's kind of was a child when he got put into this situation. And so he reluctantly, again, for the greater good of everyone else, is willing to sacrifice Katniss, again, same exact story. She reluctantly and was um, unwillingly put into a situation and turned into a hero and ends up saving everybody. And you also have, we talked about the, the movie The Professional before and the hitman Leon. And there is a really a, a not a bright guy, a very simple guy, but exceptionally good at his job. And he's forced due to circumstance to take in Natalie Portman as a 12-year-old. And she brings out the best in him. But because of her and what happened to her family, 
he ends up going down a path that requires a lot of sacrifice too. But another book series that we like is the Odd Thomas series, and I think he also qualifies as a reluctant hero. Again, he's one of these guys who was born with a gift, but using that gift requires a lot of sacrifice of himself and of those around him. So he's another reluctant hero who ends up going down a very interesting path, really. But he is the hero, and he's also very funny. I mean, his character is very funny and very humble. It's a very good book read if you guys are looking for a very good book series. And then you have Aragon and Frodo from Lord of the Rings, which I feel like everyone's pretty familiar with. So you have all of these heroes, and a lot of times their stories are kind of similar when they fall into the reluctant category, but the circumstances they're in really make you connect with them. Yeah, the key for all of that is that circumstances that are beyond their control put them in the situation of having to lead are all put into a situation where their gifts or their talents have forced them to be a hero, even if they didn't want to be. And you know what's really interesting? I honestly did not think about this, but Gabby Wells is a reluctant hero in that respect. She is. Something that's really interesting to me, though, is how there are certain characters throughout history that have been interpreted in different ways. And depending on how they are interpreted, it changes the category they fall into. And the example that we're using today is Superman, actually. Right, because in Man of Steel, it's kind of weird. But he's kind of like wants to be himself and let everyone know. But he's also reluctant about being that person at the same time. So I would put him in the reluctant hero thing. He was born into a situation and literally, you know, jettisoned to earth. It was outside of his control. And then the burden of that, of being who he was, his natural gifts, has required him to, to sacrifice for that. However, In other versions of Superman, he is another category of hero, which is the noble hero. Yes, he is. Where if you look at the other Superman movies, he embraced who he was. He was always very humble. He was always very much going to sacrifice for the people. He was only there to do good and to protect people. And he embraced that. He wasn't reluctant about it. He hid it for the safety of others, but he was very noble in his cause. You know, it's interesting as I'm looking at our list of noble heroes Almost all of them are known for being patriotic. (laughs) Right, that's true. (laughs) Because in addition to Superman, who's, you know, the American hero, the embodiment of American awesomeness, that was what Superman was in the comics and in the original movies. Yes, truth, justice, and the American way. And then you have Captain America, who, Captain America. (laughs) (laughs) Enough said. And then surprisingly, Agent Carter is a very noble hero who's very patriotic for America as a British woman. Right. And then also on that list, we have Joseph Warren that we talked about before. And also Gordon on the show Gotham. He's He kind of borders both brooding and, and noble, but he's like the only clean cop in a dirty town kind of thing. He's also noble. But I want to go back to Agent Carter. So I do too. Let's, let's explore this tangent. Because that show, that eight series show... Which has been renewed. ...was awesome. And why it was so awesome was because... Well, the actors and the casting of that show was really brilliant. I mean, every actor was so perfectly cast in that. But the the real key is that the actress just really nailed that character. And her character was noble because she lived in a world where the women really didn't have the ability to be in positions of power and so forth in corporate America and things like that. And she didn't let any of that stop her. She worked behind the scenes on stuff. But the actress was just so perfect in that. Agent Carter really is a fantastic show, and I really enjoy that show so much because she is one of the only characters that I've seen who embraced her femininity without falling subject to male fantasy. Right. 
In a lot of superhero movies or television shows or comics, when women are superheroes, they're either seducing someone or they're fighting like a ninja, which not everyone has that skill, or they're like soldiers, they're like men. They're very rarely confident women who are confident in being women. And a perfect example of that is the Black Widow character. She did all those things you just said in the in the Avenger movie. So, but you're right because Agent Carter, she it was okay that she wasn't as let's say physically strong as others or whatever, but she still had skills and she was just so clever and smart about being a woman in that society and using it to her advantage. And it was just so nice to see it not rewritten to fit today's sensibilities, but to be explored as the best woman who could exist in that time. And while I also enjoy Black Widow's character in the films and in the comics, I am really grateful to see that there are other female heroes being portrayed. And there was such a stark difference between that time frame and how women thought of themselves and were willing to portray themselves and the way they are now. Because during Agent Carter, they would also show commercials for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. It was just so like blatantly obvious, the differences. And to me, they weren't good. Right, so you just finished with this really noble, butt-kicking, but empowered, but flawed character. And then you have a commercial where they're trying to, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is trying to play off of that girl power sort of thing. So they end up showing these commercials of the female agents and the current Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And they're all sex. It's all just them slinking around and they're dressed scantily and they're seducing people. And sure, they're being a ninja here and there. But it was a perfect example of Agent Carter is what the feminist movement should have demanded, which is I am a woman and I'm free to be a woman. I don't need to be a man or a sex object. And then you go to the modern Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the women are ninjas who are sex objects. And it was just it was so obvious. And, and I know that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., those people were thinking this was a good sell a good idea. And I was just looking at this going, this is exactly what's wrong with the female characters today is that they're either sex objects or they're ninjas or they're both. So I'm really excited because Agent Carter was renewed. Yes, which we weren't sure about because I, I just love that show. And it's going to be awesome. It won't be out until next year, but still super excited. So what we can talk to about brooding. We mentioned brooding heroes, superheroes. Brooding heroes, you know, you have you have characters like Batman or Arrow, or we talked about Gordon on the show Gotham. Well, the interesting thing about brooding heroes is that while they're very common, they're a very popular type of hero, I get very irritated with them. I watch the show Arrow, and while I really enjoy the show most of the time, it's got really great fight sequences, most of the time I'm just watching like, okay, dude, you need to calm down. Get over yourself, talk to people, and solve the problem. But there are a lot of times where he's like, I don't know what to do, and this is my battle alone. And it's, and I'm like, dude, it's been three years, and you've had the same two people working with you. So if you say <laughs> you're alone again, this past season, <laughs> I'm just venting now. This past season, the theme was identity, which was fine. Unfortunately, the theme of identity was intrinsically part of the previous two seasons themes like it was not mentioned, but it was a very necessary part of it. So this season, I think like every other episode, he literally says the phrase, I don't know who I am. (laughs) And I'm like, so help me if he says that one more time, I will like write a very strongly worded letter to the executive producer and be like, just cut this line. You can still go with the theme. But if he says this line again. I will break his arrows. <gasps> Do you feel better? Yeah, I need it to vent. Okay, good. <laughs> so the last hero type that we can talk about is the snarky one. 
And those tend to be favorites. Yeah, because they're fun, you know. You know, even Harrison Ford in, as Han Solo is a snarky hero. Oh, you know? absolutely. And uh, John McClane, which we've talked about quite a bit in Die Hard, that character obviously is snarky. Die Hard is a great movie. It is. And then the, the, the latest one would be... Iron Man, Tony Stark. Yeah. Even his dad in Agent Carter is, is snarky as well. They are both very snarky. And I honestly didn't read the comics, so I don't know if that was written into the character or if that was all Robert Downey Jr. Right. And, you know, even in older movies, Cary Grant played a lot of snarky kind of heroes. Not nearly the, you know, the masculine sort of weightlifting heroes, but yeah, he was also very snark in his uh, hero-dom. And what's interesting to me is that you have all these hero types and they're so popular right now. And and I always like to think of what are the reactions in society that are causing heroes to be so popular. And I think back to when I was a child, there were a lot of really silly shows on television. There was Gilligan's Island and the Brady Bunch and the Monkees and all these shows. And before that, before my time, there was a show called Laugh-In. And a lot of these were in reaction to what was going on in the world. The Vietnam War was going on. It was the first war that we really kind of lost openly and we weren't ready and prepared to fight to to conclusion because there were too many political things involved and there were atrocities that happened during that war and then people were blaming the soldiers for it when oftentimes they were put in awful situations and America in and of itself just didn't really feel good about itself. There was just a lot of things going on that it hadn't really dealt with before and so people didn't want to think about that. People wanted to go home and think about the world that they wish existed, the simple world of the Brady Bunch or the fun world of Gilligan's Island or the silly world of the monkeys and things like that. And I think the superhero movies are so popular right now because we don't really have a lot of heroes in real life. We don't have a George Washington. And if you're religious, we don't have an Archbishop Fulton Sheen. There is no, even though the popes have done a good job, there are no leaders in the church that are standing out are charismatic and leading the effort. There are no people in politics that are leading as good examples. They're all really just politicians who will bend to the needs of the special interests. And so I think the average citizen is looking for a hero. And I think what it really boils down to is that these fictional characters inspire us in ways that reality isn't. I'm someone who's always believed that fictional characters are very important, that just because they're not real doesn't mean they haven't shaped you and helped you grow as a person, especially growing up. When I was a kid, I watched this show called Boy Meets World, and I loved that show, and I thought it was awesome, and it was so funny, but I can honestly say that Mr. Feeney, though he be fictional, is one of the most influential teachers I've ever had in my life, because he was someone I saw on television all the time whose lessons really resonated with me. And so even though he's not a real character, he inspired me in a lot of ways growing up, and I really connected with him, and I looked up to him in a lot of ways. Yeah, and I think also another key with why superheroes are so valuable right now in society, and we've talked about this in in various ways before, is that the orthodoxy of belief when it comes to religion in society has decreased in the Judeo-Christian belief system has become more of a cultural entity more than a true belief system. And so I think as we see that more and more people are leaving church or not nearly as involved in church, there's still an inherent need to look for a savior of some sort, you know, whether that be some alien with a hammer or, you know, someone who dies on a cross, whatever that is. There is an obviously a societal need for heroes, whether that's, you know, a religious one or a fictional one or a historic one. 
Anyway, I'm just fascinated by how powerful and long running this fad, so to speak, of superhero movies has survived because they usually it would have been come and gone quickly. This has been going on like 20 years now. And part of it, I think, is a credit to Marvel Studios and how they've approached this whole business, really. So we've talked about heroes in fiction and in movies and comics and even history. Dorothea, do you have any heroes in real life other than me, of course? I mean, obviously. <laughs> obviously. Well-established. Any yeah. he- other heroes in real life that you can think about that occur to you? Yeah, there is one, actually. There was one time I was driving back to college from home, and I had a manual transmission car, and the clutch broke while I was exiting a bridge, and I came to a stop around a stoplight, but a place where if the light is green, people go around 70 miles an hour, and my car was stuck in the middle of the road. And it was also dark, and my lights were not that bright, so I was pretty terrified. I was in a pretty terrifying situation, and I didn't know what to do. I called the police because I needed help getting my car off the road, and, well, I can't exit the car because people are driving too fast. I won't be able to make it to the sidewalk, and if someone rear-ends my car, this could be a really bad accident because people are going so quickly, and I'm a steady, still object. So I was I was very frightened when this guy comes up and almost rear ends me because he was driving so quickly and he couldn't see my hazard lights. So he exits his car and comes up to my window and says, you know, you really shouldn't be here. You're a traffic hazard. Have you called the police? I said, yes. And he's like, well, all right, I'll redirect traffic until they get there. And he stood out there for, I think, around 40 minutes with his phone and a light redirecting people outside of the middle lane until the police arrived. And he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to stop. He could have gone around. But I was really frightened. It was dark. I didn't know what to do. And this stranger helped me. And I was always very grateful for that. He was a really nice guy. And he just left as soon as, you know, we showed up. My wife and I showed up. He just was like, okay, and then drove away. A lot of people, I think, are heroes to me in my life. Obviously, my my parents are heroes for their example and their faith. Um, If only I could share that feeling. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. I know. Just dig in the night. (laughs) It's nice. Yeah. I mean, there's just been so many people in my life that I could call heroes. But, you know, one of my favorite heroes I've never seen before. Really? And that is my guardian angel. I have been through enough in my life, especially with all my Crohn's and my surgeries and so forth, that I have had to rely on that guy so much. I'm just very grateful. And and there was one time where I was really having a faith crisis. It was after I had to leave the entertainment industry and get a real job. And I really felt like what I was doing when it came to entertainment was having a positive effect on people. And when I had to go into corporate America, I just didn't understand how that was going to work. I just didn't understand how... Anything I would do would affect anybody at any time. So I was really having the struggle of faith, and I, and I just didn't know how it was supposed to work. And I worked like the second shift at this one call center. And, you know, I would know that the janitors would come by every night and take out the garbage. And I would always take my garbage can and hand it to them so that they didn't have to bend under my desk and whatnot. And I was friendly with them, and I knew all of them. The night I was having this really bad faith struggle, this janitor showed up that I'd never seen before. And he had like the kind of like missing teeth or whatever. And he was the happiest person. It was almost like glowing in happiness. The happiest person I'd ever seen. Just kind of just, I don't know how to explain it. Just joyful, like true joy, just emanating out of the guy. And he comes up and he's just singing to himself and bobbing his head and stuff. And he comes up and I hand him the garbage can and he dumps it in. And I go, how are you doing? He's like, I'm just praising the Lord with my work. And then he just kept bobbing away. 
And I kid you not, I, I answer a call, I look up, I can't find him anywhere. I ask around, no one knows who he is. No one has seen him, no one saw him come in, no one saw him leave, no one saw him, whatever. And I was like, if that were my guardian angel, who kind of like was allowed to say, look, just praise the Lord with your work and everything else will work out. Maybe you could be as happy as, as that guy you saw. If that were my guardian angel, that's how happy you can be. And I've never forgotten that because it was so odd. I mean, his presence was odd. His, I don't know, I don't know how to explain it. Just the joy that was coming out of him was was so different and unique. And the fact that I couldn't find him, and then during a break, I went to find him, and I couldn't find him anywhere in the building, and no one remembers seeing him. It was just, it was weird. So if that were my guardian angel, awesome. Thank you so much for helping me during a really tough faith time. And if it wasn't, if it was just a guy who was awesomely happy with doing his job, even though it was empty and garbage, then God bless you too, because you're my hero, whether you're angelic or real. You, you were awesome. So it was pretty cool. Well, you and mom are my heroes, too. Yeah, you only say that because it's true. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it is. (laughs) All right, so now we have to move on to spoiler alert. You know, I'm starting to like it, the the noise. Well, that's because you're a fool. (laughs) Well, that is also true. (laughs) All right, so Dorothea, do you know what the spoiler alert is? I don't. You don't? I don't. Interesting. So the spoiler alert is... The X-Con. It's the X-Con spoiler alert. If one of the main characters, if the main character, I should say, is an X-Con who has been out of the business and has turned his life around, you know what's going to happen? I think he's going to get pulled back in. He's going to get pulled back in. (laughs) One of his, usually a brother, usually a sibling, does something with bad people and they require the services of the X-Con and he must do the quote-unquote one last job dun, dun, dun. in order to save his sibling or loved one or whatever. And then usually at the end, they either die or sacrifice sacrifice the hero, the reluctant hero. So they're hunted usually by cops and whatever. And they're like, oh, it's usually the cop that arrested them before. And so they know the guy. And so there's all oh, this history. And then usually they either die at the end and sacrifice themselves for their loved one or they end up twisting it around so that the whole thing gets pointed to the bad guy who forced him into crime again in the first place. Good example of that is the Gone in 60 Seconds movie with Nick Cage. Yeah, the ex-con who has to do one last job. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> You're getting really good at that. Thanks. Not really. Okay, so superheroes, heroes, reluctant, brooding, noble. Snarky. Snarky. I would be a snarky hero. You'd be snarky. Because I'm just kind of a smartass. Yeah, award winning. That's true. That's another story. But yes, I (laughs) did. For another day. I did win an award for being a smartass. So it's true. Yeah. And so, yeah, I would have to go to that. Actually, you know, I realized in a crisis moment when I was having a, a medical emergency once and I was in an emergency room in a different state, I was very sarcastic. And I was like, wow, this is really me in a crisis. So, yeah, that would be me. <laughs> I would be saving lives, a lot of damsels in distress, and then I would insult them during it, probably. I think I would be like a bulldozer. I think I would be like, everyone out of my way. I have stuff to do. I need to fix this. Saving the Move. world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You would not be pleasant. You would, uh, I don't know. You'd probably be brooding at that point, right? I don't think I'd be brooding. 
Because uh, brooders spend too much time brooding. That's true. And I All just... of their off time, they're thinking about how woeful their life is. And I'd just be like, out of my way. Yeah. You're more of an A to B sort of person. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm just trying to get there to save the world. So could you move aside, please? Yeah. Yeah. Let me let me move you over here. Yeah. Let me like just just sit down. And... See, I, I would be different. I'd be like, you know, what would be really funny if you stayed there and the world died, right? Or you could move out of my way. See, that was where the sarcasm would come in. And I think my version of sarcasm, because I'm more of a bulldozer with crisis situations, is more like patronizing. Yeah. It's more like, here, why don't you just sit down and <laughs> let the adult handle this? I did have a situation like that once. Not in a crisis situation, though, but I guess it's just a female thing. I was at Disney with a friend of mine, and he was, like, harassing the performers because the show wasn't starting the way that he wanted to. So I kept giving him food. I'm like, here, are you hungry? Keep your mouth full. Women are really good about manipulating guys like that, and I'm sure he had no idea he was being manipulated. I don't think he did. I just kept giving him food. <laughs> Actually, if you were a superhero, you would just manipulate people into doing what you wanted. You'd just be like, oh, look, bright, shiny object. Oh, look, bright, shiny object. And they'd all part. And then you would just go do what you got to do. All right, Dorothea, we are back in the saddle. We are back in the podcast land. We have completed yet another awesome episode. Woohoo. I don't know if I want to say awesome. Above average. Well, I've painted myself as a bulldozer and you've painted yourself as a smartass. So I don't really Mm. know how great of a conclusion that is. So we've (laughs) finished another honest podcast. So thank you for joining us today. If you would like to contact us, please email us at contactus at sunlightpress.com. S-O-N-L-I-G-H-D. Please comment in the comment section below or tweet my father at Pete Bauer Author. And if your name is Steve and you would like to defend it, we would love to hear from you. Bring it on. Oh, yeah. And also, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes. That's always helpful for those people who stumble across it and want to know what kind of value it provides. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. We'll see you guys next time.